The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Chris Bradley, CEO and co-founder of Mana Health. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. Well, thanks so much for making the time today. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Absolutely. So I'm a CEO and co-founder of Mana Health, as you mentioned, and uh, my background is actually in neuroscience and cell biology, as well as in computer science. So I did both the undergraduate and graduate degrees. I was raised by a family of physicians, so that's really sort of what led to my becoming a healthcare entrepreneur. I was surrounded by working physicians my whole life and really got to learn some of the changes that the industry was undergoing at a relatively young age at the dinner table where my parents would be complaining about these things called EMRs and how they were making things more complicated, even though they were promised to be really great. And so I really got some insights into into some of the major issues affecting these uh, digitizations and uh, the digitization of these technologies. And so it kind of followed me throughout my career. And so right after graduate school, I decided I wanted to start a company kind of fusing the life sciences background that I had with some computer science to see if we can take these medical record systems and hopefully make them more useful for physicians and patients alike. Amen. And all right for that. Could you then take the next couple of minutes and give our audience a 10,000 foot overview of what you and your team at Mana Health are doing? Absolutely. Definitely. So what we do at Mana Health is we're really all about access. There's been a huge investment in in this country in getting medical records digitized. And unfortunately, along with that, there's been a need to figure out how to get access to the data that's been digitized. And so that's what we specialize in. We do everything from integrations to extract information and make it interoperable, all the way to patient access through our patient portal and everything in between. So our focus at a 10,000-foot level is how do we take all this digital information and get it out in a form and in a manner that can be used for more advanced things? So everything from your patient, as a patient, getting access to your own record, which is way harder than it should be, all the way to more advanced things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and some of these new technologies that are, are promising to really change the way we understand medicine. Chris, it's really hard for me to stay off this soapbox I get on every now and then when we have this conversation that meaningful use failed miserably from my perspective in that requirement number one should have been interoperability. That's right. From your perspective, what is the current state of interoperability in healthcare? It's not that great. There's been a lot of initiatives and a lot of work, so it's not for lack of effort. I think just about everyone realizes that this is a problem. And that wasn't even the case, like you said, uh, around the time of meaningful use being drafted, that wasn't known. I think now it really is. But unfortunately, it's really hard to turn this size of ship midway through. And so you're starting to see a lot of efforts to fix the problem. 
some of which are private, some of which are public. But overall, we're still not at a point where you can say it's easy to get data. So I think we're a long way from true interoperability. Chris, healthcare has a reputation for being behind the eight ball with regard to innovation. Is that fair? Are we really behind? I would definitely say yes. I mean, I think for something that has the amount of importance that healthcare does, the lack of technology and the lack of advancement of technology is actually quite staggering. An analogy that's used very often is with the airline industry, another area where obviously you have to make extremely important decisions and lives are at stake and it's a complex field. We've had a lot of automation, a lot of intelligence augmentation and and other technology in aviation for decades because it's so important that the right thing happen at the right time for everyone to be safe. And so I think healthcare is unique in that we don't have the same level of technological advancement, notwithstanding the fact that it's it's an entire industry related to people's health and well-being. And there's a lot of research showing that there are a lot of lives lost and unfortunately a lot of suffering that occurs because of everything from bad communication between systems, lack of care coordination, misdiagnosis when some facts are not necessarily available or analyzed the right way, and on and on. So I do think that we're, we're not at that level. And I think the next question is, having acknowledged that, you know, asking why, why are we not where we could be? And I think that's a really, it's an interesting discussion. And that's where a lot of work has been tried to change those incentives and get us more technological, but definitely not where we could be. Chris, one of the innovations that other industries saw years and years ago were APIs and the ability to communicate via API that a vendor would provide. Are you starting to see an emergence of APIs in healthcare? Yeah, that's something that I think we're particularly passionate about since we have an API and we've been really pushing for APIs in healthcare for a long time. So I definitely think now that's become understood. It's interesting. It's not so much that the technology exists or not. It's that it's making its way into the decision makers at the provider level and in the government to realize this is what an API is, this is why it's good, and this is why we need it in healthcare, especially around data. And so I, I think we're starting to see the permeation of this concept of APIs, which I think is great. But I think in absence of some larger issues, it's like putting a Band-Aid on the, on the real problem. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we have all of these technologies in other industries and in other sectors, some of which are equally complicated. So the question is, is not, you know, why don't we have it in healthcare for technological reasons? It's why don't we have this for other reasons? Is it a financial? Is it incentive alignment? And so I think that's for me what's interesting. So you're hearing a lot about APIs, but you're not really hearing how you're going to convince, let's say, EMR companies, providers, software developers of all sorts to incorporate them and really use them. And I think that's a key missing step. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Let's go here next, Chris. How will the growing force of value-based care impact health IT and interoperability? Yeah, that's a great question. So what's interesting about value-based care, and I've heard this at various um, sort of CEO summits and very high-level conversations with some very thoughtful and connected people, and what they've all said is the conversation always starts with value-based care and what it means to incentives and payments But interestingly, uh, after about 20 minutes, it all boils down to the same thing, which is data. You fundamentally cannot have any value-based care if you don't have high-quality data that's real-time, that's available at the right place at the right time to the right person, 
because fundamentally it's taking something that didn't need to be quantified, which is volume-based, where you just, you're showing up and you're charged for being there. You're taking something that's fundamentally not quantified into something that's 100% quantified. What does it mean to be healthy, really? What does it mean to impart value and improve that health? In some, in some cases, especially with chronic issues, you're not going to cure it. It's not the absence of disease that's desired because that's not possible, but it's about controlling the severity of the disease or, or controlling the onset of symptoms. And all of these things need to be quantified. So I think at a very deep level, the fact that we as a country are moving to value-based care or trying to move there is absolutely the right direction. And interestingly enough, it's, I think, intimately coupled with this data and interoperability problem. Without that, you really can't, you can't work with all the facts. And that also leads into not just the clinical work, but crucially into payment. How do you really compensate appropriately for care if you don't have quite of a granular sense of the true cost and the true effect of that care on each patient's actual health? If that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Thank you for that. Last year, we had several guests that were on talking about population health and what they were doing related to population health. But this year, I haven't seen that much conversation. From your perspective, what's the state of population health? And more importantly, it's facilitating technology of machine learning. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting. I've seen the similar trends. You know, it's almost like every time you go to HIMSS, you see what's really what the buzz is and what's a hot topic. And then you see a change every year. And so I think we've seen that with population health, where there's an emergence of these companies, some of which were very large and backed by very large companies. And they tried to create this population level understanding but they honestly ran into all the same issues everyone runs into. And with interoperability and with data cleaning and data quality issues, you fundamentally can't get to this population level understanding. And so, especially if you're selling that as your main value proposition, I think what they're seeing is you have to solve 50 other problems before you can solve the really complicated problem of population health. It's not getting the adoption or in some cases the results that people had hoped for and that these companies promised. And so you're starting to see a kind of a lessening of that popularity. But that said, I don't think the promise of population health has gone away. And to your point, I think the emergence of some of these cheap or open source machine learning technologies that are based on a ton of research and a ton of development from companies like Google and, and Apple and Facebook, the fact that these large companies are moving into machine learning and then open sourcing their tools many times means that you have a very powerful technology that you could deploy. And now instead of having to solve that, you just have to solve the same problem, which is getting the data. So if we can get this data in the right type of formats with the right protocols quickly enough, then I think you're going to start seeing a reemergence of population health, and this time with a much more powerful outcome. Chris, I started as a computer engineer as well, and in one of my internships for college at General Dynamics in Fort Worth, Back in 1987, I was part of a project that I was felt really fortunate to be staffed on. It was an artificial intelligence project. Since then, I've seen some talk here and there about AI, but not really any meaningful progress until recently. And I'm starting to read about an artificial intelligence renaissance. How can that be applied to healthcare? 
Yeah. So what's interesting is, and I'm sure, uh, you know, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, but anyone who's been in AI for several years sees something similar, which is the AI, the machine learning algorithms that are now very popular aren't actually new in and of themselves. Things like neural networks and convoluted neural networks. A lot of this is technology that's been developed since the 80s and 90s. And what's changed is the computational ability to actually run these algorithms. And so I think what this really means long term, no one knows. But for us in healthcare, it actually means that even though the type of artificial intelligence may not be completely different, there's this renewed excitement about it. And now people are starting to see that some problems that were intractable even 15, 20 years ago aren't anymore. And so I think what you're going to see is as you're starting to combine things like cloud computing, this renewed sense of of excitement about AI, and things like Docker and interoperability and APIs, you're going to see a convergence of these technologies. And then from that convergence, you're going to start seeing a lot more powerful solutions come out. And so for healthcare, I think as an industry, if we can solve the interoperability problem, we're going to be able to ride this wave of excitement around artificial intelligence someone, some startup or some group of people will find out exactly how to apply it appropriately to healthcare. Because I don't think it's as simple as just throwing machine learning at a problem. It's going to be about figuring out the right solutions for the right problem set. And I think healthcare has been notoriously complex for these types of things. I agree with you, Chris. But way back when I decided to get into healthcare full-time, I guess it was the mid-90s, I was at Accenture, and it was a time at which I got promoted, and I had to pick an industry, and I picked healthcare. I picked it because I thought I could save lives using computers and process and technology and all the things I knew. And I guess I was disappointed when I found the first five or six years, I was more focused on how to get a claim out or (laughs) how to do the administrative part of computing. And my passion has always been for saving lives. So as you start to see some of these stories about people that are reducing sepsis by 75%, and if you take a hospital that has a population of 100,000 people in a year, and their percentage of people that get sepsis is quite high, they're saving five, 600 lives a year by doing what I got into healthcare for at the first part. So I'm actually very excited about what's happened the last 18 months, maybe even a couple of years, how people are using analytics, AI, all these tools that have been available for years, but are now being applied clinically because I didn't understand 15, 20 years ago that there was still some base infrastructure like EMRs that we needed to get out there before we could start saving lives. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a fantastic example. And, you know, it's interesting. I think it's an example of both the opportunity and the impact you can have in this space, which I think is, you know, that's the same reason I went in. Obviously, as you can imagine, with, with two physicians as parents, the obvious route was to also become a physician. And I actually trained for that originally in, in undergraduate And what brought me to health IT was this sense that with a couple of lines of code, I could hopefully help millions of people in my lifetime. And that was a deeply inspiring feeling. And so what I think, what's interesting is, I think we all get a little dose of realism going into the field for the first time and realizing, okay, this is very complicated technology, sometimes or often unnecessarily. But what I also think is great is the bar to innovate and to do something positive is relatively low. Like with the sepsis, if you can just get a better sense of the onset of sepsis, you can really change lives. And you don't have to 
solve some major research problem or some unknown AI problem to just help people. And so for me, I think that's also really exciting is as these technologies become more available, we're going to be able to solve really, really big problems without having to get to this very complex level of innovation. There's a low bar we can surpass. Absolutely. Chris, what's next for Mana Health? What are you working on now your customers will be excited about in 2017? That's a great question. So what we're focusing on is not only all the technology, and there's a constant roadmap to our technology and making it more powerful and honestly more in tune to some of the demands of things like artificial intelligence, but also we're working really deeply on figuring out this value proposition to the providers and to the rest of the industry. And what I mean by that is not so much what can the technology do, but how can this technology immediately provide value and grow organically so that everyone can succeed by having it in place. And for me, what I see in this is this is the solution that needs to occur in order to get the technology out there. In order to solve interoperability, it's not about solving a technical issue. Because honestly, everyone has solved it in some way. And what we keep doing is reinventing the same wheel. What we need to fundamentally change is how you get the technology in and how do you provide value immediately so that you can set the stage for much more exciting technological innovation on top of that. Once you get the data and you have that data and it's controlled and it's secure, but it's able to flow in the right way, then you can do really fancy stuff and really cool stuff. So that's what we're focusing on is making sure we can get that equation really down. So we'll be making some very big announcements probably early next quarter relating to that mission. Good deal. Well, I can't wait to hear them. I'm going to catch up with you at Hims and make sure I'm, I'm aware of all those things. Maybe we'll get together and do another one of these and you can tell our audience about it. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Right now, I want everybody to go to www.manahealth, that's M-A-N-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com, Bookmark that site. Keep up with the great things that Chris and his team are doing at Mana Health. Chris, it was so great to have you on the show. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your great wisdom with our audience. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe, for having me. And it's uh, always a pleasure to be able to talk about these things. Absolutely. It's our pleasure as well. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Chris Bradley, I'm Joe Lavelle. And we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare. Intrepid Healthcare.